Welcome to Coast to Ghost. I'm Carly. And I'm Charlie. We tackle some of the world's coolest true crime and paranormal mysteries. I break down true crime murder mystery cases. And I bring you the history behind some of the scariest enigmas the world has ever seen. What's up? What's up, dude? (laughs) How's it going? You know what? I'm alive. We got our first snow (laughs) yesterday. So Ooh, yeah, seasonly. a little late in the season. I don't, that's I don't know what the heck I was trying to say there, but seasonly. I think I, kind of meant, <laughs> I think I kind of meant like I don't know what I meant. Just ignore me. <laughs> yeah, no, it's actually it's very late in the season. Um, last year we had yeah, a massive snowstorm guys, yeah. on like the twelfth. Yeah, it. I mean, it it's freezing now, so at least we have that. <laughs> All right. Um, let me start with this day in history, I guess. Yeah. So it's not, I mean, there is pretty exciting stuff that happened in the past, but I just feel like it's not the caliber that we normally get. Yeah, you started out October pretty hot and heavy. Yeah, and it's it's ending on a little, I it's still like crazy stuff that happened, but I don't know, it's just not at the caliber that it has been. So it starts off on October 23rd, 1998. Dr. Barrett Slepin is shot to death in his home, becoming the fifth straight doctor in upstate New York and Canada that is a victim of a sniper attack by anti-abortion radicals. So I thought oh my it was very God. on, like, coincidence. Can you that. imagine being kind like, of going through the don't same take stuff lives. Right it's like, don't take and lives, then, but I'm also going to shoot you. <laughs> like, right, right. Like, what sense does that make? Yeah, this Definitely. is not... This is a two-way street, buddy. Like, what is going yeah. on? All right. And then on October 25th, 1994, South Carolina re- woman reports uh, what we know now that was a false carjacking story, claiming she was the victim and her two young children were taken to cover the fact that she actually murdered her two children. What year was this? 1994. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, I was like, I feel like yeah. I would remember that if it was recently. Damn. Yeah, no, it's a while ago, but yeah, like, pretty crazy. And then the last one, October 27th, 1940, the future head of the Gambino crime family, John Joseph Gotti, a.k.a. Dapper Don, is born. Oh, so damn. Happy big. birthday, I guess. <laughs> pretty big, like, crime family. Happy um, birthday, bitch. Actually, I did not say that <laughs> for legal reasons. <laughs> All right. And then the not sponsored morbid curiosity yeah. hard pick. I'm so excited. Is a, a conversation one. If you were to own a human skull, would you rather it be the skull of a stranger or someone you knew? And why? Um... Okay, I want to preface this by saying I would never own a human skull. Um, Not an actual one. But I think I would want it to be a stranger. I Um, think so, too. Yeah. Like, imagine it, like, this is my grandma. (laughs) This is my grandma, guys. This is, do you remember um, the first case we actually did, Big Nose George, where they kept the skull as an ashtray? Um, Yeah. That's just, I don't don't know. I mean, like, would I want to be like, this is Al Capone's skull? bitches no but like would it be kind of cool a little bit 
I couldn't be yeah, like, this is this is my sister's skull. Like, okay, here right, you go. Like, That's weird. I, I don't know. It makes No, I think if I were to have a skull, which I wouldn't, um, I may have found one in the basement at my work, but I don't know if it's real. Um, what? <laughs> but I work at a science center. Let me preface okay, sure, that. Sure. A little more normal. Um, <laughs> but uh, if I were to have one, uh, I would rather it be a stranger as well. I think just like if every time I would stare at it, if it was somebody I knew, that would give me like the heebie-jeebies. I wouldn't want to touch it. Like, I just, no. I wouldn't want to handle it. I just, there's something about it that stresses me out. <laughs> and I don't know right. why, but there is. Right. Alrighty, so what story do you have for us this week? Charlie has already told me that I'm going to hate it. <laughs> I don't think you're going to hate it, but I think that uh, you might think it's a little ironic. I wanted to find something because this coming Monday is going to be Halloween. So officially, dun, this dun, is dun. the last episode before Halloween. So this I wanted to do something This is our Halloween spooky. episode. Ooh. Happy Halloween. Spooky. We're ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> Talks like that the whole episode. Oh my god. That would, one, make the episode seven hours long. And two, <laughs> people would tune out like three seconds in. Now. Yeah. yeah they would tune out right now. So I am just going to get into it. And then uh, hopefully towards the beginning of the story, you'll be like, mm, okay. <laughs> so. Okay. We'll see. October 30th, the night before Halloween, is widely known around the United States as Mischief Night. Teenagers who have outgrown dressing up and going house to house for candy will ding-dong ditch homes in the neighborhood. They'll throw eggs at undecorated houses and toilet paper trees, pulling as many innocent pranks that they can. Um, I never I've did always that. called it... I think... I've always called it Devil's Night. Devil's Night. Interesting. I've heard, I've yeah, heard both, what... both ways. Did you ever participate in Devil's Night? I don't think so. My parents got engaged on Devil's Night. Oh, that's so sweet. I'm happy Spooky. for that. Spooky couple. <laughs> Spooky couple. Yeah, I think um, as soon as I got old enough to not trick-or-treat, I was, like, working or just didn't really care, you know? <laughs> I remember the first year that I didn't trick-or-treat, I was so excited to hand out candy. Yeah, and I don't know I why I thought it was so candy. exciting. Do you still? I love it. Yeah, I'm so... I, I just moved into a, a new house, and so I don't know what the Halloween dynamic is going to be here, if we're going to have no kids or if we're going to have lots of kids. So I'm excited. I hope we have a good amount of kids. I hope you do, too. I love Henny. I'm, I'm hoping that you get a ton of kids, because, yeah, it is. I could see that was fun. I live in an attic, so um, it, it won't apply to me, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, on the evening of October 30th, 1975, 15-year-old Martha Moxley joined her friends to participate oh, in Mischief Night. Yes, I uh -huh. know this story. You should. Yeah, I'm sure you've read up on uh, it. Oh, you're... S I, I've actually heard mm -hmm. it on a few... I've, I've heard it covered, too, on a couple different uh, podcasts. Yep. But yeah. you're yucky for you're yucky for picking it. You're yucky. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I had to. I had to. I I will say, um, actually when I first started this episode, um, I just picked it because it happened in and around Halloween. I learned So you didn't even know? Later. 
I did you not know. even know. Oh, did not know. Yeah, and we'll get to we'll there. Get, we'll get to there. Yeah, we're foreshadowing a little bit. You'll see. <laughs> we are. So by the next morning, she would be found beaten to death in her own yard, and a series of trials that stretched decades would soon take over the Greenwich area in Connecticut. Martha Moxley was born on August 16, 1960, to parents David and Dorothy Moxley. She grew up in the Piedmont, California area before the whole family, including her brother John, relocated to Bellhaven in Greenwich, which I feel like I have butchered that name a million times. There's, I've heard it <laughs> said so many different ways. So Dorothy stated about her daughter and about the neighborhood. It was one of those neighborhoods the kids could just go and meet people. Very safe. Um, which and I it was feel also like, you like a. It was also a pretty. Uh, nice area too. Like yeah, very well, affluent, very wealthy. Yeah. Yeah. Nice houses. Yes, very very nice houses. Um, I think, so I know we covered the Watcher case and. It's kind of like I imagine that neighborhood. And I don't know why, yeah. especially because that new Netflix series just dropped, um, which I have not seen. But it, it's I seen how I kind of imagine the neighborhood. Or even like the mm-hmm. Amityville neighborhood. Like it, very kind of nice big houses. I picture it, big houses, lots of trees. All the yards are like very green. Yeah, and I, I believe it bordered a golf course or a couple golf yes, courses. I think, I think so as well. Yeah, and I mean, where Carly went to college and where I grew up, tons of houses that border golf courses. Yeah. Like, they're yeah. nice homes. You don't just, you know, you don't right. end up there unless you've got some money. <laughs> so Martha was described as a vivacious girl who was a straight-A student. She played basketball for the high school and seemed to have everything going for her. She was quick to make friends with the kids in the neighborhood, and that included Michael Christopher Skagel, which I think I'm saying his name right. Yep. Yeah. Um, a boy yeah. that lived right down the street from the Moxley residence. Michael was born on September 19th, 1960 to Walter and Ann Reynolds. Um, well, Walter Skagel and Ann Reynolds. Yeah. So he came from a family with quite the history. His grandfather founded the Great Lakes Carving Corporation, which mines coals, and his aunt actually married Robert F. Kennedy, the brother of John F. Kennedy, making Michael and his brother Thomas the nephews of a Kennedy. So you know it's going to end up not well. Literally, that's as soon as I read that, I was like, what connection to the Kennedys? Like, what do you mean? Because notoriously, Carly and I hate the kennedys <laughs> so much just, we just don't like their curse yeah and i, I and a couple, like either, things, but... a couple other things a couple other things a couple other things um i don't remember did you cover the moxley moxley murder a little bit in your Mm-mm. no i kind of uh i kind of covered the more immediate family yeah yeah this i mean these are very distant relatives and i so, actually, in 1973, Anne Skagel passed away from brain cancer, um, and that actually left Walter to raise Michael, Thomas, Julie, and Rushton Jr. on his own. Um, so, they didn't really have that many ties to the Kennedy family after that point. And I believe, point. as well, uh, from my knowledge, they, like, were not on speaking, like, at this point before she passed away like they weren't close like i yeah. don't believe they were on speaking terms as a family like they just I don't did think not they get were along either. 
I think mainly the main part uh, tying this case to the Kennedys just kind of sensationalized it a little bit more. Right. And right. that's what they aimed for. But I mean, in all my research, after learning about that relation, there was no other no other connection other than like the headlines would be like, oh, the Kennedy nephews and like all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But yeah. They, I mean, they're not technically connected to the Kennedys, but you know. They are. So, They are. They are. Family. Martha went out with friends for mischief night and had yet to return home by four o'clock in the morning, worrying her mother, who was informed that the last time Martha was seen was with Tom Skagel. She proceeded to knock on his door and was told that he hadn't seen Martha in a matter of hours. Um, I'd be fucking nervous if my kid never came home. Nice neighborhood or not. So by noon on Halloween day, 1975, a friend of Martha's found her body laying face down under a line of trees at the back of the Moxley property. Her clothes were stained with blood and her underwear had been pulled to her ankles. After later autopsies, it was determined that despite this fact, no acts of assault had occurred, thankfully. Um, Yeah. Which is still so tragic. There was a six iron golf club a few feet away from Martha, and that was determined to be the murder weapon. She had been beaten so viciously that the club broke into three separate pieces. Oh, that's so hard to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, like, like that's just crazy. It's, it's so it takes force. a lot of force. So it's, much force. Yeah. Yeah. And again, overkill, which I feel like is right. probably going to be a slogan overkill. for us. Straight yeah. overkill. <laughs> so Thomas Skagel became the prime suspect in the case as he was the last to be seen with Martha. Law enforcement also began to look into Kenneth Littleton, who had started work as a live-in tutor for the Skagel family on the day of the murder. It was determined that a Penna golf club was missing from the set that was in the Skagel's garage, and Anne's name was engraved on the handle of the club found at the scene. Um, so if there was any doubt that it came from that particular set of golf clubs, it was gone the second they found that right, engraving. Right, it was, right. So Tom and Kenneth used one another as their alibis. Tom stated that he last saw Martha at 9.30 p.m. before him and Kenneth settled in and watched a movie together, and then he went up to his room to work on a report about Abraham Lincoln. Despite not getting access to school records, all of Tom's teachers denied ever giving the assignment to Tom. He later took a lie detector test and passed, so no charges were filed against him. But lie detector tests, not the best. No, they're not admissible in court anyway. Right. If if you're ever in a circumstance, even if you're not guilty and they make you take a lie detector test, just say no. Yeah, and that's what I hate about lie detector tests is they're, like, so heavily relied on when it comes to, like, the public's opinion. So if you don't take a lie detector test, you're guilty. And if you take one, you're also guilty. Right, like, just just say no. I promise you it'll work out for the better. Also, another thing I've learned, never say a goddamn word. You can repeat over and over again that you want a lawyer. Right, right. Tips with Charlie and Carly. (laughs) (laughs) new segment new segment yep as for kenneth littleton he denied knowing who martha moxley was october 30th happened to be his first night 
uh, that he worked in the home, and he too was subjected to a lie detector test, but failed several of them. He was never charged in connection to the case. Um, I feel really bad for him. If I don't know, I know if he had anything to do with it, but if he didn't, could you imagine starting your first day and then being charged for murder or questioned about right. murder? Right. Like, that's insane. It's wild. So the investigation shifted focus to Michael Skagel instead. They had determined that the murder took place around 10 p.m. that evening. Michael told investigators that at 9.15 p.m. he left his house and then spent the night with his cousin before returning home at 11 p.m. Again, no charges were brought upon anyone and the case proceeded to go cold for nearly two decades. Oh, that's so sad. So sad because it's like... I don't know, you have little evidence, not sufficient evidence, pushing you to this one family. But, like, at the same time, it's enough evidence that, did they do it? Did they not do it? You know, like... Yeah, and, like, playing devil's advocate, like, from the evidence that I've gone over so far, there's nothing really connecting them to her other than when they're the last to see her and the golf club. Right, and anybody could have taken the golf club. Yeah. And I believe that was heavily argued um, after right. the fact of charging. Because, um, yeah, I mean, anybody could have gone into the garage and taken the golf club. They were in the garage. I don't know if it was open or not, um, but, you know. Right. It's, it's fucking wild. Um, so... It was 1991 when the case was officially reopened because of another crime connected to the Kennedy family. So William Kennedy Smith was acquitted for the rape of an unnamed woman, and rumors soon struck that he was actually in the Skagel house when Martha was murdered. Huh. Yeah, so I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but there was this, like, huge, huge rumor about him being there and probably, like, kind of aiding in her death, but then again, it was just a rumor, and they, they used that Kennedy name to kind of push things forward. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So, William wasn't there, but it did create a chain reaction where a private detective agency was actually hired by Rushton Skagel, Tom and Michael's brother. And he did this with intent of clearing their name. He was sick of, like, even being in that area, I'm sure, as kind of, like, maybe murder suspects. You probably have to deal with, like, a lot of scrutiny. Um, Right. And and then the media on top of that. Right. And I feel like even in cases where somebody is found not guilty... There's still so much backlash they get because, unfortunately, not everybody's going to believe you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've uh, covered cases where people are physically acquitted of crimes. Whether we think they did it or not, they're never going to be free of that. Right. It's always going to tail you forever. Yeah, I can't even imagine. I mean, like, I keep up with Casey Anthony. Like, I know that sounds weird, but, like, I do. I'm like, I wonder where she's at. Because she's one of the few, like, criminals who were assumed guilty. I think she's guilty. That's just me. Um, But she's one of those criminals where she, like, is not afraid to live her life in the public eye and is physically a nanny right now. So I'm just like, that is very interesting. Yeah. It hurts my stomach to think about (laughs) While talking to the private agency, both Tom and Michael actually 
altered their statements on the night of the murder. The first person to be interviewed by former FBI agent Jim Murphy and former NYPD Lieutenant Billy Krebs was Tom. And this was 20 years after, correct? Yes, this was 20 years after, and um, I don't... Again, I don't want to play devil's advocate, but my thing is, I feel like if they just had stuck to their stories, like, they literally piled so much shit. Once I tell you what they said, you know what they said. But, like, they piled so much shit on top of a case that was insane. I'm glad that they did. Uh, I don't know which statement is the truth or not, but, you know, we're just going to get into it. So Tom said he had gotten the times wrong that night and he had last seen Martha closer to 10 p.m., not 9.30 p.m. He then claimed that before Martha left, the two of them engaged in, quote, mutual masturbation outside of the home. Which, gross. Yeah. (laughs) Like, you're 15. Stop it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, mom. I know, I'm sorry, I just had to say it. So, Michael also changed his story. He stated that once he got home from his cousin's house at 11 p.m., he didn't go straight to bed. Instead, he climbed a tree by Martha's house and masturbated outside of her window. Like, I don't know. And weird to believe that, like, literally him and his brother and and Martha. Both of their stories have to do with masturbation. Like, excuse me. Exactly. And I'm just like, why would you, okay, why would you climb a tree and then jerk off in the tree? Like, I just, I have questions. So focus shifted to charging Michael with the crime of Martha Moxley's murder. It wasn't just the change in statements. There were several students at the Elon school, which I don't know if you've ever heard of that place. Um, But we can always do an episode on it later. That place is insane. It is, I, murderer not goddamn don't send your kids to that place <laughs> like oh my god it, it's wild it's it's a boarding school that had some very interesting tactics um when okay. it came to it was more of a correctional facility than a boarding school anyway a couple of people who were there with michael stated that he had said he admitted to killing martha multiple times <sighs> Yeah. So Gregory Coleman, a former friend, even testified in a pretrial hearing in 2000 that Michael said, I am going to get away with murder. I am a Kennedy. And that's the, oh. (laughs) The silence. Whether you like them or not. Disgusting. Disgusting. And if I remember correctly, like, the Kennedys already didn't want anything to do with, like, this family. Like, they just did not get along. And him going into this boarding and, school and being like, well, I'm a Kennedy, and guess who I murdered? Right. You fucking dummy. <laughs> like, they don't even on? like you. They what are they going to do to help like you? you? Buddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sit down. Sit down. Calm down. You need to stop. It gets worse. In 1997, Michael also worked with a ghostwriter for his autobiography titled Dead Man Talking, A Kennedy Cousin Comes Clean. Stupid ass. Mm-hmm. He set up a tape recorder for the sessions and confessed that on the night of October 30th, he had been under the influence of alcohol and marijuana. He stated that when Tom answered the door and spoke with Dorothy, he was terrified that they had caught him masturbating. Um, but he he hadn't said masturbating. He had said he was just terrified. It was assumed that that's what they were talking about. 
But a lot of people also were just like, mm, no. Were you terrified that they caught you because you killed someone? Like, right. Right. Yeah. Their daughter. Exactly. And that's that's super scary to think about. Investigators also turned to Martha's diary that was consistently written in during the months leading up to her murder, specifically an entry about Tom and Michael on September 12th, 1975. And I am going to read this entry. It is a little bit long. She said, Dear Diary, today was nothing extra special at school. Peter was being his usual self. Me, Jackie, Peter. Michael, Tom, Peter. <laughs> Peter. 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 <laughs> um, she said, let me see. Sorry. <laughs> we went I driving in Tom's to. car. <laughs> I drove a little then and I was practically sitting on Tom's lap because I was only steering. He kept putting his hand on my knee and I drove some more and Margie and I kept yelling out the sunroof and then we went to a friend's and Michael treated me badly and he got me a double but I only wanted a single. Um, sorry, I'm reading this weirdly because she has such weird handwriting and I just took it straight from the book. <laughs> yeah, not great. Then I was driving again, and Tom put his arm around me. He kept doing stuff like that. Jesus, if Peter ever found out, I would be dead. I think Jackie really likes Michael, and I think maybe he likes her. Maybe because he was drunk, but I don't know. So that was the first entry on September 12th, 1975. Um, there were a couple more entries, but the other one that I found super important was on September 17th, where she wrote, Michael was so totally out of it that he was being a real asshole in his actions and words. He kept telling me that I was leading Tom on when I don't like him, except as a friend. I said, well, how about you and Jackie? You keep telling me that you don't like her and you're all over her. He doesn't understand that he can be nice to her without hanging all over her. Michael jumps to conclusions. I can't be friends with Tom just because I talk to him. It doesn't mean I like him. I really have to stop going over there. Yeah, you do. Yeah. It was that line that got me the most was I really have to stop going over right. there. I was like, oh, yeah, like, buddy. Uh, Uh-oh. Like, if only. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, there was no physical evidence against Michael and his alibi was holding up strong. Prosecution drove in the fact that he was under the influence and had access to the murder weapon. On June 7th, 2002, Michael Skagel was charged with the murder of Martha Moxley and sentenced 20 years to life in prison. While in prison, he actually filed for four retrials, all of which were denied, but on October 23rd, 2013, he was granted one where he was released with a $1.2 million bail, which, of course, his family could afford. Right. Yeah. In December of 2016, prosecutors fought to have the conviction reinstated, which was granted and Michael returned to prison. But in May of 2018, it was overturned again under the grounds that Skagel's representation did an inadequate job defending him, leading to his release. And, you know, to this day, Michael is a free man. And in October of 2020, the chief state attorney, Richard, and I am not going to even try to say his last name, uh, stated that he wasn't going to be retried. So as of right now, Michael Skagel is a free man and by all accounts did get away with murder. Right. Uh, it's just, it's just crazy, like. I feel like we hear cases where 
it's so obvious that it's somebody but then you get on the other hand it's crazy how somebody can get away with murder too like yeah yeah and honestly i'm not even gonna lie to you do i think michael did it i don't know Um, i i don't i've i've always thought that about this like i really don't know i really don't know i don't know either but i feel like a more likely kind of thing that happened was that and this is just a theory like it's there's nothing proven i feel like both michael and thomas had something to do with her death i think they both had a hand in breaking that golf club in three and beating her and because i mean i don't know there's something about it and there's something about the way that like her underwear was pulled down to her ankles right but you know fortunately nothing happened um when it came to that that kind of thing but i feel like it would have been one of those situations where either michael or thomas went to go do something and the other said uh-uh uh, right i completely agree with that completely uh, yeah agree. and then i feel like um with with the sitter with the with the tutor like he yeah. him failing lie detector tests i know we just said validity of lie detector tests aren't great um and I stand by that, but I also feel like if he did have something to do with it, he probably didn't have anything to do with the actual murder, but I feel like maybe he stumbled upon this scene and it was just like, okay, okay, like, yes, what like do you, we do? Yeah, and that's right, just always right. been my theory is it was both of them and then the tutor kind of helped them cover their tracks a little bit. and Or like, or even to the point where they're just like, hey, something happened, just say I was with you. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I feel like at the same time, I am i don't believe that they can retry him, not only because they explicitly stated it, but I also think because it would be double jeopardy, like he's already been charged, um, and it's right, not a repeal. So, right. Yeah, so I, I'm wondering if at one point or another, Michael and Thomas, well, not Thomas, Thomas isn't going to do it, um, because he can be tried for the murder, but I'm wondering at some point, if Michael's ever going to be like, okay, here's what happened. Um, because he seems very full of himself and very, very willing to share these facts. He just probably legally was said not to. Right. Like, I just want to know. Just, I'm sure her family does too. Like, just peace of mind. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, I really want to know too. And I just think that, you know, it's mainly associated it's sad with... to see the Kennedys and like with you know the fact that it happened on Halloween that's why I chose the case to begin with but at the end of the day this was a 15 year old girl who was murdered brutally at that so and her there's nobody to pay the price for it there's not no and I don't I feel like personally if I was uh family members with the Moxleys I'd be extremely fucking pissed that he only maybe served like four years in total right right horrible and he probably got time served too like i didn't see anything about it but like that's usually how things like that work and right it just infuriates me because he was so cocky and he was like i will get away with murder and then he did so right well thank you guys for listening to our spooky halloween episode of the week be sure to check out the link under our our check out the link attached whatever in the description of this podcast <laughs> it's in the description whatever um, man 
Um, but it's a li- uh, you can check out the link at take you to our website. Our website will take you to all of our different social media platforms like Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, where we post pictures related to the case so you can get a better look at it. And if you're enjoying the podcast, leave us a rating to let us know. And if you have any case suggestions or story suggestions on our website, there's a little spot where you can leave us a message. So you can either let us know any stories that you'd like us to talk about or just let us know how you're enjoying it. Be safe on Halloween. Don't yes, do anything stupid. Stay, stay spooky, but be safe. Maybe I am a mom. <laughs>